everyone, and welcome to The Week Ahead. I'm Tony Nash, uh, joined as always by Sam Rhines, Albert Marco, and Tracy Shukart. Before we get into it, uh, please like and subscribe. Please like and subscribe. Also, uh, we've just started our new CI Futures promo. You get your first three months free. Uh, get global markets, currencies, commodities, economics with CI Futures. Uh, check it out at completeintel.com slash 2022 promo. So guys, um, this week, uh, S&P was down 4%. So I think some people are relieved it wasn't down more. Uh, WTI was up almost 3% and the 10-year yield was down 2.9%. So um, I think it was a little more tame, uh, at least by the end of the week, than some people thought it might be, which... Uh, uh, probably not helpful to everybody, but but I, I think it, it helped people a little bit just kind of get a grip on things. So our key themes this week, first, how are institutions trading this market and uh, more specifically kind of intraday vol? Um, for ags and fertilizer, uh, is it demand destruction or supply shortages or both? How are those, uh, how are those playing out? And for the US dollar strength, are global central banks happy about it or sad about it? Um, so today for the fir for our first uh, segment, um, Sam, if you can help us understand this, intraday vol has been an issue all week and for the past couple of weeks. What's going on through an inst what's going through an institutional trader's mind in this market? Uh, we've got a tweet uh, and there was a, a great thread from Chris Cityall. Um, I definitely recommend reading it. So can you walk, walk us through that a little bit, Sam, uh, what, what they're thinking about and what institutional traders are doing? Sure. I would say what they're thinking about is not losing money, mm. uh, particularly after you had uh, the Target earnings, Walmart earnings. You know, there were there were some landmines out there in individual uh, retail land that brought up some call it concerns about the consumer it brought volatility into places you hadn't really seen volatility uh, sure. recently. So staples began to really get a little more volatile. In particular, they were more volatile than the S&P 500 for the back half of the week. So you began to see, call it the volatility spread on call it underlying issuer basis, but not necessarily really spiking at the headline index level. So traders are traders are trying to keep it flat, right? They're keeping their risks very, very tight. There's a, you know quite a bit of blood in the streets, so to speak, particularly uh, those trading rates and individual equity names. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it's, it's a, it didn't look like it was that volatile, but the intraday vol was incredible yep. and it took a lot of, and it took a lot of the risk out of the system, right? It, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, a lot of the, risk managers out there aren't looking at day-to-day -day vol. They're looking at intraday vol, P&Ls. So you get a, you know, you're likely to get a shoulder tap intraday if you're, if you're playing these markets with you know, too much leverage. You tap out at like 2 p.m. or something because of your positions? I mean, is that what happens? Or, or you just have to unwind one that you like, right? So right. if you put on, if you put on a, call it a S&P, future trade early in the morning and you know you get a hundred point move intraday in the s p you know you're going to get blown out of that position pretty quickly right you have to have really really tight 
stop loss limits. That's it. Albert, what are you seeing? Well, I mean, it's, it's seen, I mean, the Fed has done a marvelous job of erasing excess wealth out there, excess money, not just from retail. <laughs> Forget about retail is just dead in the water right now. But even institutional-wise, a lot of funds just been obliterated for the past month and a half now. Right. You know, the, pro- the problem, you know, the problem becomes uh, liquidity. And where, where, where is it? I mean, so I'm, watch, I'm looking at the order book uh, on the S and on the E-minis. And it's just, there's nothing there. There's mm. nothing on the buy side, nothing on the side, nothing. So, right. you know, you know these, these massive 100 point moves, I mean, of course we've never seen anything like this, but if you look at the problem with liquidity there, it makes perfect sense. So Albert, from a you know, hedge fund world perspective, you know, do you think we're gonna see some, some hedge funds cleaned out? Obviously Melvin, you know, we know that story, but but are, are we going to see some some issues there with some funds and, and- oh, with, with, without question, without question, you'll see a lot of them unwinding by the end of the year. Um, I know a few personally that that you know closed up shop or in the process of closing up shop, and I can't imagine there's at least twenty five percent more that's out there that are in some serious trouble. I mean, redemptions will start ticking up. Clients will, you know, clients that were sold, uh, you know big tech names in a zero rate economy yep. is they're going to be, you know, calling every single day. Is like, what's, what's yep. going on for returns? And there's none to be found right now. Yeah. It's, it's tough to get things out right now. Yeah. So, okay, good. Um, thanks for that. Uh, let's move on to our second topic. Tracy, <clears throat> wheat was down 6% this week. Corn ended down about 1%. We got an interesting viewer question from Thomas Siegmann, uh, who's a regular viewer. Uh, can you help us understand ag and fertilizer markets? Tom is saying, uh, Thomas is saying, love to hear your thoughts on ag commodities, demand destruction versus supply shortages, fertilizer prices and shortages, drought, lots of cross currents. Can you help us understand kind of those markets a bit better? Sure. Well, first, I don't think you're going to see demand destruction even at higher prices because people need to eat. Right. Eating is good. Yeah. Right. We can agree on that. And so um, the thing is, is what I think we're going to see is structural shifts in the market, whereas um, you're going to see different crops being produced over other crops. In other words, um, if we look at, say, wheat, for example, <clears throat> what's happening right now is that wheat crops are being produced more because it's easier to do, less energy intensive, and that's going to make a problem on the corn markets. Not necessarily in the United States. I would single out the United States as a kind of a different market altogether. But if we look at the global market is where I think this is headed is we're going to see shortages in areas where you didn't think so, right? So we, we are all scared about wheat because of obviously Ukraine and Russia and then being major producers, et cetera. But that is going to in turn affect the corner markets. I think in turn affect global production and what those crops are, what crops are being produced globally, if, if that makes sense. Sure, so, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's what we need to be on a lookout for. And, and, you know, and things like rough rice, rice, rice is going to, because nobody wants to put wheat and corn into, say, animal food anymore, right? 
rice is much cheaper. Mm. So I would look for rice to go much higher because they're going to use that to replace something like animal feed. Interesting. Okay. So we've seen uh, political instability in Sri Lanka, especially over the past couple of weeks. And part of that is just terrible government. Uh, Part of that is um, weak currency and food affordability. So, you know, how far do you think this goes? Does it does it get extended to a lot of other countries or are there a few other countries that this gets exposed to? Both you and maybe Albert, if you guys can both jump in on this. Yes, I think it extends. We're already seeing that in Iran, right? We're already right. seeing yep. uh, protests in Iran. Yep. And I think that we're this is going to continue, especially in emerging markets, right? And so I think this is uh, nothing new. I think we should expect more of this and be reminded of, you know, when we saw the Arab Spring, yep. it all started because of food, right? Yep. So um, that's something that we need to pay attention to, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tracy. Uh, you know, some of the emerging markets are going to be the most hardest hit. It's funny because uh, four or five months ago, when my client and I were sitting there discussing what countries to look at to invest in, and one of the key components is like which ones are stable in their food supply. I mean, the yep. United States, but you know, France is actually quite stable. Um, I think that they can actually make quite a play for the European Union's uh, leadership over Germany going forward, specifically because they've got enough food to, to sustain themselves. As for the that's other countries- point. That's a good point, Albert. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really good point about France. Yeah, well, I mean, they got, they got their own food. They have a big agricultural industry. They're, you know, top in the world, you know, and they're self-sufficient. And that one, they have they have water from the Alps too, so it's they have everything they need for themselves. So they're pretty isolated from this. But you know, you talk, you look at Spain, they're they're in trouble. You know, North Africa, they're in, they're in significant trouble. You know, so I mean, this Sri Lanka won't be the first, and right. you know, looking for at least a dozen more instances of that happening around the world. So we have well, a summer is, of is, new government. This is also why I'm, I'm looking towards um, Brazil and Argentina, even though I everybody kind of hates those markets right now mm. is if we look at their agriculture, their agriculture is robust. And so mm. um, I think that in the end, that will serve them from an investment standpoint, if you're looking to countries to invest in. That's interesting. Yeah. But the only problem, the only problem with Argentina, it's so, I mean, their government is just absolutely atrocious. And then the yes, Brazilian, high risks. I yeah. Agree. And the Brazilians have a big election coming up and that's going to be extremely contentious. So I would stay away from those two until after, you know, after those elections happen and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, Brazil, Brazil is, they have fertilizer, they have fruits, they have sugar cane. They a lot of chicken. A lot of soybeans. <laughs> the a lot of meats. The Chinese meats. have been in there a for crops. a lot of oil. Yeah. Great. Okay, perfect. Let's move on to the next topic. Um, Albert, uh, we got a question from, uh, Gary Hubbard, who's a regular viewer, he's talking about the dollar and how central banks, there's gossip that central banks are getting nervous about uh, a strong dollar. Um, so dollars up or down, sorry, a little bit this week. Um, but how worried are global central banks about the dollar? Of course, you know, you have say the, you know, North African or Brazilian or other kind of, you know, fairly shaky monetary markets. But if you look to say European or developed Asia or some of those other markets, how worried are those central bankers about a strong dollar? 
Well, you know, I just want to I want to isolate I isolate this between just the United States and Europe right now, because mm-hmm. that's only really what matters for the market back in the United States. Um, a strong dollar for the Europeans is not good. It's just absolutely not. It's good. It, it would be good if if the euro was falling, they had exports to send to China, but they don't have that anymore. So now they have dollar liabilities that are getting out of control. And I think that the Europeans, you know, I've heard, you know, whispers uh, inside, you know, the Fed and Treasury that uh, they're worried about a European financial crisis. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's if they, if they want to get the markets down, blow up Europe. You know, that's the, that's the easiest way to do it. But I thought we ha- we've had a financial crisis in Europe since about 2012. Yeah, but we have a memory. We have it every five or 10 years because Europe's right. a welfare state. It's a welfare state that depend, that lives on Fed swaps. Right. But that's all it is. And I and I, I don't want to insult the Europeans on here, but let's just get real here. I mean, w- without without Chinese exports, they've got nothing. Sam, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, if if China doesn't open up soon, it is going to be extremely problematic for Europe, period, full stop. Um, that, that would be the saving grace in a lot of ways to Europe for a strong dollar. Um, other than that, there, you know, th- there's going to have to be some sort of interesting talk down of the dollar, either from uh, Treasury or, or you know, some hawkish comments uh, coming out of the ECB. And, you know, you'd be gun to, you know, hear the ECB be a little bit more hawkish recently. If they really want to, if they really want the dollar to abate, they're going to have to get more hawkish. Yep, for sure. And on your China point, I, I saw a story this week that the Shanghai port was at about a 90% capacity at some point this week. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, but I saw it in a legitimate newspaper so you know let's see how long that lasts let's i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you tony i mean how do you from a china perspective how do you look at this opening i mean do you think china do you think shanghai is really opening like they say it is or is this hearsay or is this can you give us a little bit of insight on kind of the china situation right now because that makes a huge difference in demand for uh, energy and materials markets. sure absolutely so I, I sure wanted to open uh because i want both china and the rest of the world to thrive um but because of you know a lot of domestic considerations um <clears throat> covid or monkeypox or whatever it is i don't know um they're just you know they're they're lifting it slowly but um, and we talked about this in detail in last week's uh, show, but I, I really don't think they're going to open to any interesting degree until midsummer, maybe later. I wish they would open tomorrow, uh, but they won't. I think uh, for a lot of reasons, they're kind of getting in their own way. And I've said this many times, China needs to, to be saved from China. You know, it's just uh, such terrible management uh, of the country and has been for 50 you know, or more years. Um, and they're, they're potentially going back into you know, the great famine type of environment, uh, which I, I worry about a lot and that would be detrimental to everybody around the world. That makes sense. So on that happy note, thanks so much for, <laughs> for taking time for the show guys. 
Really appreciate that. Uh, have a great week ahead. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Sonny. Bye. Thank you.